If your shoelace breaks, what do you do? That's what we're going to be discussing today and breaking that down in episode number 93. This is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer Podcast, delivering the smarts you need to enjoy the freedom of the RV lifestyle without the fear of breaking down. So, hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show, but also for working through some of these changes. We revamped the Radio Arizona RV website, turned into the Smart RVer website. Our next target is Arizona RV Parts Center. It's already becoming Smart RV Parts Center. We're gradually making some changes, but we're going to have to do a big one pretty quick here, just so you know. So if you're used to seeing Arizona RV Parts Center, soon enough, it will be smartrvpartcenter.com. So just a warning there. All right, now let's get into living the RV life. Bicycling is our subject for today, and bicycling is an awesome way to get exercise and a great way to check out the scenery. You know, bicycling is a hobby you can take anywhere. You can take it on the road, you know, ride a bike just about anywhere. Um, you know, there's RV parks you can ride bikes. You can take your bike to the beach, different campgrounds you're in, national parks, regional parks, you know, just about any area where you're at. And if you're RVing and you're visiting small towns, what a cool way to just check out the scenery. Now, of course, there's a lot of different bikes, you know, so we're not talking about one specific bike because you're going to have to find the bike that works for you, depending on your age, your ability, what you want to do on a bike, because there's mountain bikes, there are bikes just for cruising, there's fat tire bikes to ride in the sand and snow, there's road bikes, there's all different flavors of bikes. So you want to choose a bicycle that fits your riding style and your ability. You know, bicycles can be taken to so many different places. You know, I was thinking about there's some small towns where, like here in Montana, my wife and I, we might go out on a Saturday and visit a small town here, small town there. And, you know, we're going to start bringing our bikes with us because we realize that in a lot of cases, it'd just be an easier way to see the town. And then if we want to go back and walk around, we can do that. But the bicycle enables us to do it, kind of get the, the big picture, the fuller view of the town, and then maybe go check out some different areas of it. But that would hold true for if you're camping at a lake or a national park. Bicycles, you get out, you get some exercise, but you also get to see the area. It's much easier, it's cooler. You know, it's... uh. It's that exercise. I keep going back to that because really when you're RVing, sometimes it's hard to get the exercise you really want. You know, I know I can get in lazy mode, not want to do anything other than sit around. So the bicycle gets the blood going, gets you moving. It makes you feel like you want to do other things as well. So it's a nice way to bring a hobby with you. Now, if you don't have a bicycle, I mean, those that have bicycles and take them with their RV, they're used to it. And there's different types of bike racks and ways of doing this. But if you don't have a bicycle, you certainly want to go to some bike shops, talk to some experts, and see what bike will work for you, the size of bike. You know, you might think a bike, you might need a taller bike when you really don't. So you want to go try out some bikes and buy a decent bike if you can. You know, the big box stores sell okay bikes, but they're not that great if you want to keep a bike around for a while. The quality has really diminished over the years. It's more about just selling bikes that have all these looks like fancy gizmos and gadgets on them but they're really just low quality gizmos and gadgets that usually don't even work or work very well and not that i expect you to spend thousands of dollars on a bike but you do want to spend hundreds you know it might be two three four five hundred dollars for a bike and that's 
that's not a high-end bike. You know, bikes get up, you know, thousands of dollars. But start looking now, too. Bikes are hard to find. Last summer, my wife and I, we started looking for bikes in the spring, and it took us three or four months to find bikes that we wanted. We were looking for a specific type of mountain bikes. And then if we get the bikes, we realized, hey, we can't even get a bike rack for these things. So I had to make a bike rack, and I'm going to have pictures of it on our website under this episode showing the pictures, what we had to do. You know, you want to look now, and you some bike racks are easier to get than others, but definitely you want to look into it. But don't let that deter you, the complexity of trying to find a bike. Bicycling is awesome. It's a great way to just get some recreation in. You see some things out there. You can access places that sometimes you can't get to or you'd have to hike or walk to where taking a bike can definitely make it easier and get you to some of those unique places that no one else will be able to see. All right, so bicycling, what a great way to live the RV life. So if you go to our website, thesmartrver.com, and check out episode number 21, that has more information on bicycling. So staying on the road, today we're going to talk about that shoelace. If your shoelace breaks, do you just replace one or do you replace both? If you just replace one, the other one could break in a day or two. Or if you just replace one, maybe it's white. And that new white shoelace is really going to stand out. It's going to make you look kind of goofy. You know, the other shoelace will be dirty, dingy, probably got some wear marks in it, ready to break at any time. So that's going to look pretty odd. You know, the bullies in the neighborhood might pick on you a little bit. So you're probably just going to replace both laces and call it good. That's what most people will do. And that's the way to do it. Do them both. Don't mess around with it. Just put on two new shoelaces and call it a day. The point of this is there are some parts or systems on your RV that are like shoelaces. You just don't replace one. You should replace both or sometimes three or four of them, depending on what the system is, what the what it, what we're talking about. So I bring this up because of the feedback I get from RVers who call or come into my store. You know, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. And what it is, it's a learning stage. These are all pain points that you guys, RVers, have to go through. And sometimes, you know, it's not that frequent. You might forget about, oh, this is the way I should do it because it's been years, maybe three, four, five, or more years since you've done it last time. I know I find myself in those situations where, how did I do this last time? I don't remember. So you got to work through it. And then, of course, you're not doing this stuff all day, every day where I am, so to me, things make more sense sometimes than it would to the RVer because they're not doing it all the time. So it's a learning process, and that's what we're here for, to get educated on how to maintain our RVs. So the shoelace scenario, the illustration there, ties in with several different places on an RV, actually quite a few, and I'm going to go through some of them. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to hit them all today, but I'm going to cover some of the ones that I hear the most of or you know, I see the problems with. And first on the list is propane hoses. Now, if you have a travel trailer, more than likely you have two propane tanks. You have an auto changeover regulator, and it has two propane lines going to it. Well, if one of those lines starts to leak, sometimes the hose itself might crack. Sometimes where the, the hose is crimped onto the fitting, 
that ferrule will leak. It'll start leaking right there. Actually, it's a hose leaking, not the ferrule, but the ferrule loosens up and it allows propane to leak out. You know, there's no fixing that. You can't recrimp the ferrules. Most propane, or excuse me, most RV shops or propane houses won't even have the right size crimp machine to crimp the, recrimp the hose. I make propane hoses and we can't recrimp any hoses. And then we won't recrimp a used hose because of the liability and it just doesn't make sense. So it might leak there. Just plan on replacing the hose. Maybe it's leaking at the fitting. You know, you have to determine where it's leaking, but generally it's going to be where it's crimped or the line is going to start cracking and leaking there. So if one of those propane lines is leaking, more than likely the other one's going to start leaking pretty quick if it's not already. If one's bad, just consider them both bad. Just buy them both. Spend the $15 for each line or $16, $18, depending on the line, the style, the size. Maybe they're $20 a piece. Maybe they're $25 a piece where you live. But just replace them both. And generally, if it's at least a decent quality hose, you'll get years out of it. Now, there are some low-quality propane hoses that last, you know, months, sometimes a year. I hear it. I see it. But we don't sell that kind of stuff. We sell good quality propane hoses, so it's not an issue. But some places do sell lower quality ones for various reasons, especially if you go to hardware stores. They, they generally sell, sell bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. Not in all cases, but in some cases. And it's because of their access to RV parts. They're not in the industry. It's like if I were to sell some hardware items in my store, you know, maybe I would be selling cheaper ones, low-quality ones, because that's all I could get because I'm not in the hardware industry. Okay, so propane hoses are one. Brake shoes. You know, if you have a tandem axle trailer or a single axle trailer, you're going to either have two sets of brake shoes, one right, left, or, or four sets, two on the right, two on the left. So if you pull off the, let's say, the wheels on the right side, and those shoes are worn down, and maybe they're getting, you know, 15% left, 10% left, or maybe they're just ready to go into the metal. You know, the, the shoe is all gone or just about gone. But you pull the other side off, and it looks a lot better. Replace them both. Don't do one side. And I've literally seen people do one side. And, you know, that creates a problem down the road, too. You know, now you got to check one side of the brakes more often than the others. You know, that becomes an issue. So replace them both. And while you're there, at the bare minimum, repack the wheel bearings. But inspect the bearings. Maybe they're bad. They need to be replaced. Or maybe you just want to replace them because it's been so long since you've done this that you figure you know what i'll put in new bearings new brake shoes and i'm done this this axle's finished for quite some time so look at the bigger picture you know sometimes it's a little more money up front and if it's in your budget go the extra mile leaf springs suspension items are another area where sometimes we want to cut back we don't want to spend the extra money because we think ah you know this will be okay maybe one leaf spring broke and you're thinking well I'm not going to worry about the others. I'm just going to replace the one. And sometimes you can get away with that. One breaks and it's just a fluke. It broke. Maybe you hit something just right, you know, a pothole or something. And the leaf spring broke. You know, they, they do break on trailers. It's not that uncommon. You know, some people go for years, never have a problem. Other people just seem like it's always a problem. Every trailer they get, a leaf spring's breaking. Maybe it's where they live or where they travel. But nonetheless, 
at least check the other ones out. And while you're there, check out the shackle links. Check out the equalizers, everything that holds it all together. You know, the brackets, that, um, the hangers that hold the leaf springs in place. Make sure that the holes in them aren't getting oblonged or elongated. Look for signs of wear. And shackle links wear out too. The holes start getting longer, longer. You know, they get elongated and eventually they just break off. Shackle links and the bolts holding them are pretty inexpensive compared to, you know, breaking down out on the highway, having to have someone come out and fix it or trying to find parts, you know, when you're, you're, uh, struggling somewhere to get your RV repaired or you're getting these, you know, suspension parts done. And I've seen it, you know, trailers broken down on the side of the road. They've got, you know, broken suspension parts, maybe a leaf spring or some shackle links broke and boom, the trailer's dead in the water. You don't want that. And it could happen, but you try to avoid that by staying ahead of it, staying ahead of other problems. You, know, you might have to throw a leaf spring in off to just get the trailer off the road or, you know, out of wherever it's at. But then you want to go back and do those other parts if it needs it. Definitely inspect them. Tires are another area. You know, quite often tires, you know, you can get a bad one. You know, something goes wrong with it. Maybe it hit a pothole or maybe it's starting to crack. At the bare minimum, check the other tires and make sure they're in good shape. And if it's something like the pothole, the tread is separating, or excuse me, the tire and the tread is separating, think back, could you have done something, hit something that would have caused that? Because maybe the other tire hit the exact same thing too, but the tread isn't separating, at least not yet. So keep an eye on those things. Another area where sometimes we just do one is roof vent lids. Now, vent lids are kind of a pain. You know, you got to get a ladder out. You're climbing on the roof. You're inside the RV. You're taking it apart from the top and the bottom. You get one done. You're pretty much done with that whole process. But check the other vent lids. You know, they technically should be all about the same age. But if you replaced one a year ago, then another one fails, you know, tomorrow, then they're a year different. And that can be the difference between not having to replace them all. But maybe just do it one time, and then they're all kind of on the same maintenance schedule, which makes it easier. You already have the tools out, the ladders out, you know, everything's there, you're doing it. But check the others at bare minimum. You know, if you need one, you might need two. You might need three. Then if we go inside the RV to the lights, interior lights with fluorescent tubes, quite often just get one tube. And that's okay, but it's not the greatest thing to do. I remember years ago running into the owner of Thin Light. They make fluorescent RVs for, uh, excuse me, fluorescent lights for RVs. Big name in the RV industry. So the owner of Thin Light is working at a RV uh, swap meet in Arizona selling lights. Now, I thought that was pretty interesting. So I go over to see, hey, what's going on? What's this guy doing, you know? Oh, I'm the owner of the company. I'm out here educating people. You know, he's selling lights at, I'm not even going to get that ridiculously low prices, but anyway. And he was saying the same thing. You have to replace both tubes. Otherwise, it ruins the ballast. And quite often, you replace one bulb, and, you know, a week later, a month later, the other one goes bad. So just do them both. A lot of RV stores sell lights that are in two packs. It makes it easy. Now, if you have one tube that's a, that's you feel is still good, save it. And just mark on, you know, the package or ever how you save it used. And that way you have a test bulb too. So if, uh, down the road, another light, you know, starts to flicker or whatever. You can pull out the bulb, put in your test bulb, and you can identify that what the problem is. Is it the ballast or is it the bulb? And also maybe a bulb burns out and that'll get you through, you know, until you can get to an RV store and get some more bulbs. So saving a bulb, there's nothing wrong with that. But replace both of them. Wiper blades are the same way. 
And I know, man, wiper blades can be expensive, you know, because it's like buying a truck part because the size of them, 32 inches, 34 inches, you know, 36 inches. But don't skimp, just replace them both. And I, I hear it, well, I'm driving, I only need to have my side working. You know, that's not really true when you're looking out the passenger side. It's, it's much nicer when it's a clearer vision. And also the passenger, you know, if they're paying attention, they can't help you if the windshield's all covered on their side with snow or water or whatever, but your side's nice and clear. You know, they can, they're an extra set of eyes. And let's face it, the older we get, the slower we, our reactions are. So have an extra set of eyes can be a good thing. So replace them both. And if you're, we're going to go back on the roof here, plumbing vents. That's another area. Check them all when you're up there. If one is cracking, getting brittle, Probably the others are too. Check them out. And you know, sometimes the base is okay and you just have to replace the top piece. Although you can't buy them in pieces. They come as a set. Check them out and see if the others are bad. Now here's another one too. Deep cycle batteries. And you know, there's a lot of, oh, I would say, you know, back and forth on this for information. But I've checked with the battery experts, which are the battery companies, and trusting them for what they're telling me. And I've checked with not only like management at them, you know, salespeople on the phone, the guys that deliver the batteries, I've asked them all, you know, and I rephrase the question because I want the right answer and replacing one deep cycle battery. And most RVs have at least one, but a lot of them have two, sometimes two or more. So let's just stick with two batteries. If you have two batteries and they're both let's say five years old, one of them dies, replace them both. That old battery is not going to be a friend to the new battery. It's going to want to pull it down to its level. You will never have the same battery life that you had before. Replace them both. Now, if one battery is a year or both batteries are a year old and one dies, you could probably get away with just putting one in. You know, I, I understand the money, $125, $150, whatever it is. But replace them both if they're older in life. Don't mess with it. You know, it's one of these things, you know, it doesn't seem batteries, suspension, tires. Some of these things we don't really like to put money into because it's not that visible. It's not cool. It's not like some really awesome gadget you bought that you can use while you're out RVing. It's just a battery, you know, or it's just a LP hose. But let's face it, they can make or break a trip. And the part of RVing or, you know, one of the parts is to get away, relax, not have to mess with this kind of stuff and to enjoy the RV lifestyle, make memories. You know, you're not out there doing maintenance on your RV every trip. Your family's going to hate it and you're going to hate it. You're there to have a good time. And if you have a motorhome, you know, the engine has belts and hoses. So maybe the inward belt, maybe you have an older motor home and it has just all belts on it. You know, it doesn't have one serpentine belt. So, you know, the, the belt is the most inward on the crankshaft. It fails and you have to take two or three belts off to get to it. Well, look at those other belts and make a decision. Should you just replace them? If they're all the same age, maybe they got 50,000 miles on all of them or a hundred thousand miles, replace them all. Don't let that ruin your trip. And if you have a serpentine belt, maybe it's the only belt you have. Now, keep in mind, if that breaks, you're done. You know, it's not like one belt can break in a lot of cases. Maybe it runs the AC compressor. Well, you can keep driving, right? But with a serpentine belt, you can't do that. And I just went through this. My truck is 20 years old, 
but it only has like 90,000 miles on it. But the Serpentine Belt failed while we were out doing, uh, going on a bicycle riding trip. As a matter of fact, we were taking our bike somewhere. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to get one before it completely fell apart. But it was just a fluke that I even checked it. It just happened. Just, I'm not even going to get into that story. That's a whole different thing. But, you know, it could have ruined the day. And I was thinking mileage, not time. You know, I was thinking, well, it's not even 100,000 miles on this truck yet. But the truck's 20 years old. So, you know, I wasn't looking at it properly there. So replacing parts. Replace both or three or four of them if that's what you need to do. Don't just replace one shoelace, as it were. Replace both. Don't be a goofball. Don't let your family look at you and think, oh, boy, here we go again. He saved a buck. What problem is that going to cost? cause us later on all right so you know there's a lot of things that are working on an rv a lot of parts you have to buy so here's the deal if you have questions about a product and its quality let me know you can use the contact us page at the smartrvier.com or you can call me the phone number's on the website i will help you in making that right purchase and sometimes you don't have to buy the best part Sometimes mid-range or even low quality, depending on what you're doing, will be just fine. All right, so let's go to the next stop now, vacation destinations. So looking, are you looking for a memorable place to go? Of course you are. You own an RV, and that's what you want to do. You want to make memories in it, right? Well, I've got the place for you. It's the coolest RV getaway in Georgia not the country, right? Just Georgia. So Georgia has a lot to offer to the smart RVer. Not only does Georgia have a ton of American history, but it has a lot of natural beauty to go or two. I've been to Georgia several times. Georgia is a pretty cool state. It is lush. It's green, a lot to see. Sometimes you can't see it because the greenery is so thick. It's pretty cool. So if you haven't been there, it's time to pack up your RV and head to Georgia. You know, Georgia was founded in the year 1732. It's the largest state east of the Mississippi River. So it's a big state. It's been around for a while, and it has an immensely rich American history. You know, it was involved in a lot throughout the early stages of the U.S. history. And Georgia is also associated with peaches, Georgia peaches. Georgia is known for having some of the most sweetest and finest peaches in the nation. But Georgia has a lot more to offer than just peaches. Now, if you're a peach fanatic, maybe that's the place for you. So Georgia, there's a lot of stuff to see, a lot of things to do. And, of course, I can't go through all of it in this episode. We just spend a few minutes on these things. Um, So you have a... You know, what's your appetite? This is where I want to go next. Or he puts it on your list of places to go. And Jekyll Island is one of the cool things about the southern coast of Georgia. And that's where our focus is, the southern coast of Georgia. I'm sorry, I should have said that sooner. But Jekyll Island is a pretty unique place. It has the Jekyll Island Club, which is, you know, a club that was, uh, it's been around a long time. And in 1910, you know, all the wealthy people of the United States, the bankers and such, met there to form the what is now known as the Federal Reserve. So the clubhouse has a lot of history there. The island, of course, does. There's golfing. 
So if you're into golf, you can definitely go golfing there. You can go crabbing, shrimping, and of course, you can play tennis and ride bicycles there. And if you don't have a bike, you can rent one. So that's cool. Bicycles, you see? Now you can check out the entire island on a bicycle. Another cool place about the southern coast of Georgia is Jessup Drive-In. It's in Jessup, Georgia. Do you remember what a drive-in is? A drive-in theater where they showed the movies outside on that big gigantic screen. You sit in your car, listen to that horrible sounding speaker hanging on the window. Well, that's changed today. Now it goes to the FM uh, frequency on your radio. So it's much better quality, but a drive-in, that's cool. You know, you go, you sit in the car, you eat, drink, (laughs) you, you enjoy yourself. And so this particular drive-in, you know, they got the 50s era going on. The car hops are dressed in the 50s type outfits. So it's a cool thing to do. So that's definitely worth seeing. And then there's other places there. They have a, the 8th Air Force Museum, which is all World War II related. And then, of course, the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge. That's a cool place to go. Okefenokee. That's a tough one to say. I had to kind of break that down here in my notes. Then there's places to eat, there's places to stay, there's everything you need in that area, the southern coast of Georgia, RV parks, plenty of food places. So hopefully that whets your appetite, it's worth looking into. Here's what I'm asking you to do, if you have the time. Where is your favorite vacation destination? Text it to me at 406-961-8688. And let me know where you like to go on your trips in your RV. All right, so that brings us to RV Envy. Now, this episode is going to be more like Toolbox Envy. You know, because we're going to talk about a tool, a very small tool. You know, having the right tool can make every job you do a lot easier. If you break down out on the road or maybe it's in your driveway and you're trying to get ready to go on a trip, you can get back on the road or on that trip enjoying your rv a lot quicker when you have the right tools but it's sometimes hard to have all the right tools all the time you know when you're at home it's one thing but when you're out on the road it's much more difficult to do tools take up space they can get heavy you know they can you just might not have the space for all the tools you want to bring Then there's all the things that you can kind of plan for then all the things you can't plan for so that makes it little more difficult now like for me i go overboard i bring everything under the sun you know chainsaw table saw you know wrenches screwdrivers no i'm just kidding i don't bring all that but i do go overboard i bring a lot of stuff and i bring spare parts if i know that i can like leaf springs wheel bearing stuff like that i always do gonna have it two spare tires you know those are must for me and depending on where i'm going what i'm doing it could be a lot more and sometimes a lot less but usually not So if you have the space, you know, obviously you can bring more tools, more equipment to get yourself back on the road, but that space can always be the problem, you know, and then the weight too. Sometimes, you know, tools can add up, end up being hundreds of pounds. And that could be an issue too. If you're already bringing a lot of weight in your RV, in your truck, you know, it adds up quickly. Sometimes you don't realize that. So what I'm going to have to, or what I'm going to talk about today is a tool that will help you get back on the road if there is a breakdown because ultimately you can't use your rv if it isn't working the memory machine on wheels is dead so you've got to fix it right you've got to get it going so that's what we're going to do we're going to get it fixed and get it back on the road so i have this awesome tool 
and it's a suggestion that I think you should have one. You probably don't have one now. You probably won't use it too often, but when you need it, you'll be a hero because you're going to pull out this tool and you're going to go, huh, look what I have. And everybody's going to go, wow, you are cool. Now, maybe not everybody. Some people might just say, whatever, fix it. Get on with, let's get on with the trip. You know, and it's, <laughs> I just have to go down this road. Um, you know, I remember one time, this is many years ago, I was, uh, I was doing a remodel on my house. The first time I'd done something like this, one of my friends says, you need a Sawzall. And I'm like, a what? A Saws who? And they're like, a Sawzall. So we go down to the tool store, and this is before the big box store. So you go and, you know, look at tools and stuff and showed me the Sawzall. And you're like, oh, this is cool. So I take it home, use it. I mean, the same day I go back down to the store and I buy one for my dad. You've got to have one of these things. That's how cool I thought it was. Now, he didn't think it was that cool. He says, well, the guys in the shop can use this. He owned an RV repair business at the time. So he gives it to them, you know. So he didn't have that appreciation like I did. So maybe my appreciation for the tool I'm going to talk about won't be the same that you'll have for it until you need it. It's a relay tester. Yes, a relay tester. It's small. They're about 25 bucks, $22, 20 bucks, depending on where you buy it. But everybody has problems with relays eventually. And even with a trailer, you're going to be towing it with a pickup truck. So if the, re or if the trailer itself doesn't have relays in it, in which a lot of them do, different components in there will have relays. And they'll be the same relays that are used in the automotive industry. But if you have a truck that you're towing your trailer with, or you have a motorhome, it has a chassis, and it's going to have relays on it. And if you're towing a car, well, it's going to have relays in it as well. So this is a tool that every RVer should have. And the thing about relays is no one's very good at testing them. I take that back. Not a lot of people are good at testing them. Some people enjoy that type of stuff. They're really into electronics, and it's not a big deal. But if you don't understand how it works and how the electricity flows through it, You'll never figure it out if you don't know that. And so you'll never be able to test the regular or the relay properly. So this is just a little handheld tool. It hooks up to your battery, and it has um, three different areas to plug in different types of relays with different pin configuration. And when you turn it on, it actually cycles through the relay and tests it 10 times in a row. So it's going to open and close the contacts, and it's going to go through that process 10 times. So that really puts it to the test because a relay can just fail, you know, intermittently here and there. So if you check it once, it might not be the problem. But if you go through 10 times, it's definitely going to bring out that problem if there is one. And if it's bad, the little tester tells you. So that's a relay tester. You can get them online. Don't spend a lot of money. If you spend, you know, 15 to 30 bucks, you're in the range. If you go beyond that, you're just buying something really nice that you probably don't need unless you're a professional and you're using one all the time. But it's just a cheap little tool, but yet it's handy as can be because it's relays can be so hard to uh, check. So now we've come to the end of the show and I want to ask you to do this. Go to your favorite podcast channel, wherever you're listening to the podcast at iTunes, stitcher whatever it might be and rate the show you know one star five stars or five stars or five stars whichever you know you want to do as long as it's five no i'm just kidding but rate the show or go to youtube to the smart rver channel and subscribe to the channel or do both so if you do that i'd really appreciate that so this is eric stark and i want to thank you for listening to episode number 93 on the Smart RVer podcast. 
Keep me in a smart RVer, and if I don't see you on the road, we can connect at thesmartrver.com.